skydiving? Be to run for political office one day? I would probably say to go skydiving. I want to go to the Maldives. <laughs> I want to go anywhere she's going, so Maldives it is. Uh, skydiving. To visit Paris. I definitely want to see the Eiffel Tower. A trip to uh, Japan. A good two-week trip. I think that would be pretty amazing. Uh, swimming with sharks. I have always wanted to go hang gliding. Definitely to go backpacking in Europe. I'd love to go to Costa Rica. Well, I would definitely love to take a trip to Hawaii. That's on my bucket list. say good morning. I want to say good morning to all of our campuses at Lanier and at Mill Creek, those who are watching online, those will be watching by TV. We are really glad that you have joined us today. I tell you, I always want to move forward. Always. I never want to go backward, but there's one day of the year I don't want to go forward, and this is one of those days. I hate daylight savings times almost as much as I hate Auburn, Florida, and Tennessee. It's really close. Well, we're in a series called The Bucket List, and I want to tell you something I read the other day. It was really interesting. After 25 years of counseling patients, a leading psychotherapist concluded easily, he said, without question, he said the number one fear of people that they have in this life, and it, this may surprise you, it surprised him. He said he's absolutely convinced. He said the number one fear that people have is not death or dying, the number one fear they have is not terrorism. The number one fear they have is not even an economic collapse or a financial reversal in their own life. He said in his 25 years of counseling patients, he has determined that the number one greatest fear of people is ultimate loneliness. People fear loneliness. He said of all the human emotions that we possess by far, the most devastating emotion of all, above fear, above anger, above depression, above jealousy. He said the most depressing, debilitating emotion of all of them is absolute loneliness. I mean, the silence of loneliness is deafening. You, you can hear it in the abandoned child, in the quiet home, in the empty email inbox, in those long days and those even quieter lights, you can hear the silence of loneliness in the forgotten birthday and in the telephone that never rings. It's horrific. You know, prisons have learned this. I don't know if you know this or not, but one of the worst things prisons have learned you can do with a prisoner is to put a prisoner in what? Solitary confinement. Did you know there are over 80,000 United States prisoners that are housed this way more than any other democratic nation? Now think about this. When you're put into solitary confinement, you're put in a six by 12 cell, 23 hours a day, nothing to look at but a small sink and a toilet. I didn't know this, but Americans, we invented solitary confinement back in the early 19th century. We came up with this idea that if you would put a prisoner in solitary confinement, it would make them kind of contemplate what they did and think about their crime, and it might lead them to repent and, and, and to become a, a, a better person. So just imagine, 23 hours a day, you're stuck in this bathroom-sized cell. You're under fluorescent lights that never, ever go off. You're under 24 hours of video surveillance. You don't talk to anybody. You don't hear from anybody. You don't communicate 
with anybody. And maybe it's why, even though only 5% of prisoners today are in solitary confinement, they account for 50% of all the suicides in prison. There's just something devastating about loneliness. Well, on the cross, Jesus took loneliness and solitary confinement to another worldly level. And he experienced something no other human being should ever have to experience and definitely want to experience. And I wanna share this with you this morning. If you brought a copy of God's Word or you use an iPhone or a smart pad or whatever you wanna use, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27. If you don't know much about the Bible, you don't have to. There's an Old Testament, New Testament. We're in Matthew, which is the very first of the four Gospels, first book in the New Testament, Matthew 27. As I've already said, if you're a guest of ours today, we are in a series that we're calling The Bucket List. Everybody has a bucket list. We've already seen it. Uh, They're out out there. Everybody in this room, if I were to say to you, you, you're going to die in the next year, you would have a bucket list. You'd say, okay, if I'm going to die in the next year, there are certain things I really want to make sure I do in my life. Well, in the last six hours of his life, through his last words, Jesus gives us seven things that ought to be on everybody's bucket list. These are the things we ought to make sure are true of us before we die. And I've been saying, if these seven things are not on your bucket list, you're not only not ready to die, you're not even really ready to live until you make sure these are on your list. Let me kind of review the situation. Let's remember where we are in this story. Jesus' death took about six hours. He was nailed to the cross about nine o'clock in the morning, and he hung on that cross till about three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, during the first three hours of that time on the cross, he uttered the first three of the last seven statements he would ever make. And by way of review, first thing he did was he asked God to forgive the crowd that was crucifying him, even though they did not deserve to be forgiven. Then he forgives a criminal that was being crucified with him and he commutes his death sentence to an eternal life sentence. And then last week we talked about he made sure that one of his comrades and one of his companions, John, was going to take care of his mother. So he's kind of said those things in the first three hours of hanging on the cross. Then for probably a couple of hours, he's gone deathly silent. He doesn't say a word. He's just hanging there, trying to hang on, trying to keep living, trying to keep breathing. And then it happened. Matthew 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. Without warning, think about it. Everything goes jet black totally dark. You could not see your hand in front of your face. It wasn't an eclipse. It wasn't a dark cloud cover. It was this thick, thick, deep, dark darkness that lasted three hours from high noon until three o'clock. Now think about it. When the sun is normally at its brightest from about 12 till about three or four in the afternoon, the world was at its absolute, complete, total darkness. Nobody moved for three hours. Nobody said a word for three hours. You could hear a pin drop for three hours. It was almost as if nature herself had said, I just can't bear to watch this anymore and turned out the lights. It was almost as if the sun was ordered not to shine anymore and the moon was ordered not to glow anymore and stars were ordered not to glow and to twinkle anymore. And all of a sudden, this silence that had gone on for maybe two or maybe more hours, this silence is broken by this blood-curdling scream 
that would have clotted your blood and would have chilled you right to the bone. It is an unbelievable thing. It's a mixture of Hebrew and Aramaic. This is what Jesus said in his own language. He said, Eli, Eli, Lima Sabachthani. And that question echoed all over Jerusalem. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of all the things Jesus ever said, not just on the cross, but all the things he ever said in, this, in the life that he lived, it is the most unique thing he ever said. It is the most mysterious statement that he ever made. Because in this one statement Jesus made, he said something that the disciples never dreamed they would ever hear him say. Anybody that knew Jesus would have said, those are, those are at least some words that will never come out of his mouth. Now, it's not, the, it's not the foreign words that are very difficult. We know what those words mean. Eli, Eli is Hebrew. Sabachthani is Aramaic. Those are easy to translate. As a matter of fact, it's the only statement Jesus made from the cross that's recorded by two different writers, Matthew and Mark. And very interestingly now, for the first time, he's not speaking to us, he's speaking for us. But he speaks to his father in a way he had never spoken to him before in all eternity past. He had never spoken to him this way on earth and he would never speak to the father this way again. Now, this is kind of interesting. Jesus made seven statements on the cross. This is the one that falls exactly in the middle. There were three on one side, three on the other side. This is the central statement that he made. It was spoken exactly halfway through the six hours he spent on the cross. And I believe it's central for a reason. Because when you come to this statement, now you know Jesus is at the mountaintop of his suffering. He is at the zenith of his agony. He has reached the peak of his punishment. Now think about this. Go back to what's go what Jesus has been going through the last 24 hours. They beat him, they scourged him. They took a cat of nine tails and they ripped the literal flesh off of his back until his ribs were showing. But he never said a word. They spit on him, they mocked him, they made fun of him, they cursed him. They called him the most vile names you could imagine. He kept his mouth shut. When they nailed his feet, and they nailed his wrist to that cross. He never spoke a syllable. But when God turned his back on him, when his own heavenly father turned away from him, this was more than even Jesus could bear. My God. Now, now just think about those three words. My God, why? I know something about you. You know something about me, right? Can I ask you a question and can we be honest? I'm gonna ask, ask you to raise your hand. At least once in your life, how many of you have ever asked God that question? Now be honest, it better be unanimous, because I have. I'm telling you as a pastor, there are times in my life when I've asked God, why? I got word yesterday, there's a worship pastor up in Tennessee. He's one of the finest worship pastors anywhere you could find in any church anywhere. One of the godliest men you'll ever meet in your life. His 19-year-old daughter yesterday, 19 years old, her heart just quit beating. Wasn't sick, didn't have an illness, didn't have a disease. She just died, 19 years old. You don't think they're asking this morning that mom and that dad, my God, why? 
Parents who have lost a son or a daughter to a drunk driver or to a war. How about the single mom trying to raise four kids on a minimum wage because her husband left her for a younger woman? How about that faithful employee who worked 25 years, gave everything he had to the company, only get a pink slip with no retirement, no severance, and no pension? My God, why? And and in that question and at this moment, we're gonna learn from Jesus today two incredible truths that will help us to live right, help us to die right, and certainly something better make sure is on your bucket list. You need to make sure what he said and why he said it will motivate you to make sure you never have to say it. Because of these words from Jesus, we learn that before you die or as you die, you should be able to do two things. Number one, you should be able to talk to the God who is with you. You should be able to talk to the God who is with you. Now listen again to verse, uh, to the verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now here's kind of what's interesting. Matthew records that happening. Mark recorded that happening. Luke recorded that happening. And the fact that all record the fact that it was pitch black That tells us that what is about to happen is something very terrible. This is a clue that this happened in so total darkness, something terrible is taking place. And we know why. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is a God of light. He is not a God of darkness. So evidently what had happened was earth's son had turned his back on God's son. 33 years earlier, go back to his birth, how different things were. You know, 33 years earlier, when Jesus was born, the stars were brightly shining. The angels were singing. The glory of God was glowing brighter than the noonday sun. But now all of a sudden, the sun had folded its curtains. Angels had shut down their wings. The moon had gone into hiding. Not one little star was twinkling anywhere. And after three hours of being in pitch black darkness. I mean, totally lights out. Something no one had ever seen before. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani. I want you to feel the intensity of this scream. By the way, that word cried out is a very powerful word in the Greek language. It's a word that's actually a combination of two words. One word means to shout or to scream, and the other word literally means up. So it literally means to shout up or to scream up. It was more like the roar of a lion. Up until this point, Jesus had just been kind of conversing. Father, forgive them. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. But now there's this scream. It's almost as if Jesus wants everybody to hear this, these words. And as I said just earlier, I guarantee you it shocked all the disciples that would have heard him say this. I guarantee you it shocked his mother. It shocked his aunt. It shocked John who was standing there because he had done something he had never done before. They had heard him three years say hundreds of thousands of words. He never said anything like this because this is the only time that that Jesus ever addressed God as God. This is the only time he ever addressed God the Father as my God. For three years, every time he talked about God, what word did he use? Father, every time. It was always Father. Now, 
He's not talking to him as a son. Now he's talking to him as if he were a sinner and a substitute for every sinner. You remember when Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The one thing that Jesus dreaded more than anything, the one cup he did not want to drink, now he's drinking it in full. Now he's drinking it to the very last drop. Because the first, this is for the, for the first and the only time in eternity past, the first and the only time in eternity future, God the Son is now totally separated from God the Father. No fellowship, no connection. Listen to that cry again. Why have you forsaken me? At that moment, let me tell you what happened. Listen carefully. At that moment, Jesus became the only human being ever completely, totally forsaken and devoid of the presence of God in his life. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, at that moment in his life, forsaken could have been his middle name. Because except for his mother, his family had forsaken him. Except for John, his friends had forsaken him. His own flock, the nation of Israel, they not only had forsaken him, they crucified him. And now his own father, his heavenly father, the eternal father had forsaken him. Jesus, go back for eternity. Jesus had never been forsaken by his father. Matter of fact, for eternity, Jesus had been co-equal with the father. He had been co-existent with the father. He had been co-eternal with the father. In eternity, they'd been just like that. He comes to planet earth and they're not just like that on earth. They're just like that. You remember what Jesus said? He said, I and the Father are, what's that word? One. You couldn't tell them apart. They were more than joined at the hip. Nothing had ever come between them. They had never had a crossword. They had seen everything eye to eye. But now the sin of the entire world, of every person who has ever lived, was totally between them. Now you understand why it was dark. Now you understand why it was midnight at midday. Because God had turned his back on his own son. Our sins had blotted out the sunshine of the father's face. Let me tell you what was going on. For the first and only time in all eternity, when God looked at Jesus, he didn't see his son. He saw you and he saw me. For the first time in eternity, when God looked at Jesus, he didn't see his son. He saw every sinner who has ever lived. He saw every sin that has ever been committed. And when God looked at that, God is so holy and God is so pure and God is so righteous and God is so just that even God had to shut his eyes to the sight of sin. Even God had to close his nostrils to the stench of sin. Even God had to close his ears to the sound of sin. And I want you to understand, I don't want you to miss what's going on here. At this moment, Jesus became the only person in all of history to be totally, completely alone without even the presence of God in his life. Now listen, it is one thing to be lonely. It's another thing entirely to be totally alone. Jesus was totally alone because here, here, and this is what was going on. All he had ever known for eternity was this enduring relationship and this intimate fellowship with his heavenly father. Now all he knows is absolute, total separation. He is in a spiritual no man's land. He's like a man without a country. 
He, he, he's, like a, he's like someone in spiritual solitary confinement because the first and only time God was totally against his own son because he's totally against all sin. And see, even though Jesus said, why? Well, we know why. Jesus was forsaken, so we'd never be forsaken. God turned his back on Jesus, so he'd never turn his back on us. And see, because of those words that Jesus said, we can talk to the God who is with us, who right up until we kick the bucket and after will never leave us nor forsake us. See, because of Jesus and because of what he said at that moment on the cross, we can talk to the God who is with us. Now, there's one other part of this statement that we need to go back to which tells us something else that's true of us, both while you live and while you die, and that is not only before you die, you better make sure you can talk to the God who is with you, but you also know that you can trust the God who is for you. Now, I wanna show you something. I, I promise you, you missed it. I want you to understand the full force of what's going on here. Jesus didn't just feel forsaken. We've all felt forsaken. He didn't just feel forsaken. He was forsaken. God had made sure that he was in spiritual solitary confinement, that he was not just lonely, he was totally alone. He literally was God forsaken. You know, we, we use that term a lot, you know, God forsaken. And normally when, you, when we use the term God forsaken, we're, we're talking about some deserted barren hole in the ground that, you know, nobody would want to live in, like Auburn, Alabama, Gainesville, Florida, you know, just God forsaken places, you know. Well, we don't literally mean God forsaken, right? We don't literally mean that because God is everywhere. But the only time that word has ever been true of anyone at any time in any place was right here at the cross when in complete darkness, God had absolutely, totally forsaken his son. This is the only time that any human being was truly a God forsaken person. So let me put it to you this way. Maybe, maybe this will help you. At this moment, Jesus became the only godless person who ever lived. Now you understand there's a difference between being ungodly and being godless. If you don't understand it, let me make it real easy. When you're ungodly, you reject God. When you're godless, God rejects you. When you're ungodly, you're still with God and God is still with you. But when you're godless, you're without God and God is without you. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Nobody's ever totally without God. Nobody is ever. God has never, ever forsaken anyone except Jesus on the cross. Now, let me just stop. Let me call time out. I promise you there are people listening to me right now and you're saying, let me tell you something. <laughs> you don't know what I'm going through in my life. I'll tell you right now, God has forsaken me. I've cried out to God. It's like rubber balls bouncing off the ceiling. I've asked God to intervene. I've asked God to intercede. I've asked God to do this. I asked God to do this. And I'm telling you, I absolutely am abandoned by God. Let me just correct you on something. You may feel God's forsaken you. He's not forsaken you. You may feel God has abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. You say, okay, 
How do you cope? How can you sit there and tell me that you know I'm not God forsaken? How do you know God has not abandoned me? It's real easy, real easy. Because if you were truly forsaken by God, you would be dead right now. Who do you think's keeping your heart beating right now? Who do you think is keeping your lungs breathing right now? Who do you think is keeping you alive right now? God is. And see, that's why this statement is so powerful because this is one of those rare moments when we're kind of looking on the outside of what's going on, but we'll never really enter in on the inside. God has left Jesus totally alone. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God will never leave us totally alone. Never. No matter if everybody else, there's a verse in the book of Psalms where the psalmist said, even if my mother and my father forsake me, God will never leave me. Listen, I, I, this is a part of my, I'm getting to this part now and get the most excited about my message, okay? I, I wanna just share with you the unbelievably great news of this statement because it doesn't sound like great news, but it really is, okay? Here's what happened. Because of your sin, because of my sin, because of our sin, Jesus experienced total separation from God, complete isolation from God, and absolute condemnation from God. You got it? When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was absolute total separation. There was complete isolation, and there was absolute condemnation. Are you ready? But because of his, how many of you want to get excited right now? You ready to get excited? Because of his suffering for us, watch this, for us, there's no separation from God. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. For us, there's no isolation from God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. For us, there is no condemnation from God. Therefore, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he was forsaken, I won't be. Because God turned his back on him, he won't turn his back on me. Because God left him totally alone, he will never leave me totally alone. Jesus was forsaken that we might be forgiven. Listen, he died for our sin so that we could die to our sin, not in our sin. That's why he could say, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you remember I told you there was a part of this statement that we may have missed. There was a part of this statement we might not have paid close attention to that really is a big, big key. I had never really, listen, I had never really seen this in my life. This is one of those things I love about the Bible. You always learn something new. I bet I've read that statement a thousand times in my life, maybe more. And I saw one little word I never paid attention to in my life. Even when the father had turned his back on the son, now watch this, the son never turned his back on the father. Because this is one little word. If you know anything about English, it's a first person, personal pronoun. You remember how he addressed God? My God. My God, not just God, my God. In the darkest hour of his life, when everything had turned against him, everybody had turned against him. 
Yes, he said, why God? But he said, why God to my God? Just like a man named Job thousands of years ago who said this one time, though he slay me, that is, even if God kills me, even if God takes my life, yet will I hope in him. Even when everything and everyone was against Jesus, he said, I'm still trusting in you. I'm still putting my hope in you. I'm still believing you as my God. Now, let me help some of you right now. Listen, this is, I hope this will help you. <clears throat> if Jesus could say, my God, why? Then it's okay for you to say it too. There's nothing wrong with saying that. He said it, you can say it. And I will tell you as a pastor, I've not only heard that question many times, I'll say it again. I've asked that question many times myself. I wanna give you some good news, you ready? The next time you feel like asking God why, don't feel bad about it, go ahead and ask him. Because he can handle it. God can handle the whys of life. He can handle the why questions. History can handle the when questions. Geography can handle the where questions. Science can handle the what questions, but only God can handle the why questions. And see, just remember, when you run into the whys of life and you're going to, I just met with a man last week and his sweet wife. They're good friends of, a, of one of my buddies, in fact, Richard back there. Had a beautiful, beautiful, Richard, one just beautiful little, little grandson. Thought the baby was fine. Baby was born premature. Thought the baby was fine. Baby started having seizures. They discovered this little baby had a um, genetic flaw. They didn't know they had it. The mother carries the genetic flaw. The father carries the genetic, genetic flaw. Any child they have will have a 50% chance of carrying this genetic flaw. This little boy had this genetic flaw. And they, he died. And I sat there with that, and, and, and I, I, I went with them in my office, because I'm a grandfather. I, I've got four grandkids, and I'm telling you, you know, I, I'll, just, I'll just go ahead and break the hard news to some of you. I've got the four greatest grandchildren on the planet. I'm sorry for the rest of you. I'm just telling you, I've got the four greatest. God's been good to me. But I sat there, and I had to look at Bob and Myra, and I had to say to them, you know, I don't want this to come out wrong. I not only don't know how you feel, I don't ever want to know how you feel. But then I looked at them, and I said, but let me tell you this. God knows how you feel. God's been right where you are. And I, and, and I sat there, and I watched this couple Ask me a question I couldn't answer. Why didn't God spare my little grandson? Well, let me tell you what encouraged me about that couple. They're in church. They're faithful. They've started serving the Lord again. And here's the lesson I want you to learn. Listen. We're all going to run into the whys of life. Okay? You're not going to avoid them. Everybody's going to, sometime or another, you're going to say, why God? Why have you forsaken me? Here's what I want you to remember. When you run smack dab into the whys of life, do not, do not let the whys of life drive you further away from God. You let the whys of life draw you closer to God. Because listen, 
You'll never need God more in your life when you're asking a question that only God can answer. So, at the end of the day, never let the water of doubt put out the fire of faith. At the end of the day, just remember this, whenever you're sitting there and you're wondering and you can't figure it out and you're hurt and you're angry and you're mad and you're grieved and you're disappointed, just remember, whenever you're saying, why God, you're addressing that question to my God. Now, let's get to the bottom line of why this statement is so important and why you better make sure that what's happening right now is on your bucket list. Jesus at that moment, took on the cross what you will have to take for all eternity if you don't take Jesus. Did you hear me? Jesus at that moment took on the cross what you will have to take for all eternity if you don't take Jesus. Many of you have heard of Voltaire, one of the most famous atheists who ever lived. He was French. And he wrote books against God and against Christianity and, and against the Bible and, and, and against Christians and against the faith. He absolutely despised everything about God and about Jesus and about the Word of God. On his deathbed, he had some last words. His maid was in the room when he said them. And when his last, last breath, she said, he screamed. His last words were, I am abandoned by God. I am abandoned by God. Listen, he died the way all people die without Jesus, totally spiritually alone. Here's the thing. You will never be abandoned by God unless you die abandoning God. You'll never die abandoned by God unless you die abandoning God. There was a story I read the other day about a man sitting in a restaurant and he was reading, he was reading his Bible. And he was sitting next to a table with two guys and they obviously, I don't think either one were believers and they were kind of got into a heated argument. Well, one of the men lost his temper with the other guy and he looked at this guy and he said, go to hell. Well, this man, he didn't really want to interfere in the guy's argument, but he just couldn't resist. And he looked at the man that was sitting there that had just been told to go to hell, and he said, sir, I don't mean to interrupt you guys, but I just wanted you to know that I've been reading my Bible, and you don't have to go if you don't want to. You know what? That's true. That's exactly what this book says. You don't have to go if you don't want to. Because Jesus went to hell for us, we never have to go ourselves. Listen, there's only one way to die, and you better make sure it's on your bucket list. You better make sure you die unforsaken. You better make sure you die unabandoned so that one day you can leave the why God troubles of this earth and you can go to the my God grace of eternity. Let's pray together with his bowed and with eyes closed. Here's my question for you right now. Here's my question.